This morning, we're continuing our study on the book of Colossians. Let me just tell you this. This coffee right here is delicious. And if I've made you jealous, that is awesome right there. I mean, I love you guys and I love to talk, but I could sit and just sip on that. So Paul, so Colossians is four chapters long. We're halfway through. And Paul kind of changes the focus in these last two chapters. What we see is he goes from uh, education to application. It's one thing to know information. It's another thing to put that information into practice. Now, not everything we know do we have to put into day-to-day practice. I am a sanguine. Uh, If you've ever read the book Tipping Point... I am a sanguine. That means one of the things that I do is I'm a gatherer of information. And and I do that. I love information. I go to sleep each night listening to a podcast. It's probably not the most conducive thing for my sleep, but it is what I do. I love information. I love love to learn. I love to uh, have information. Because another part of being a sanguine is being a, a connector and a conduit. What I do well and what I enjoy greatly is taking an opportunity and connecting it to a person or persons or being a conduit by which uh, things flow. Information is one of them. And Paul turns his focus from the teaching of doctrine to now the challenge of application. The Bible says that to know what is right and not to do it is sin. And we can know what we know, but the question we have to ask on the regular is, are we doing what we know? Because, after all, it does uh, little for a Christian to declare and to defend truth, but not to demonstrate it. So if you declare something, but you don't actually do that thing, what is the word that the world applies to that? Hypocrite. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. To claim one thing, but to do something different. Amen? And I, listen, you can call me a lot of things, but I pray that I don't get called a hypocrite too often. Now, do I always do what I want to do? No. But man, I, I really strive to do that. And so Paul says that as believers, as Christians, as Christ followers, it's not just the defense of truth that we are responsible for and called to do, it's the demonstration of truth. It's, it's, It's a classic teaching style. You watch me do it, we'll do it together, and then you do it. And so the world oftentimes wants to watch what we do before they want to hear what we have to say. <coughs> there are some Christians that will defend truth At the drop of that, listen, there are people in our world today that if you say something negative about Christianity or the Bible or, you know, pick something, they are ready to drop gloves and throat punch you. Now, the problem is, is they may not actually practice the things of the faith, but they take it very personally if you have derogatory thoughts, words, or actions about said faith. That's not what Paul calls us to. That's not what we aspire to. Should we defend the faith? Absolutely. We defend it with our lives, with our lifestyles first, 
and with our words when necessary. Because in Titus, we see this written. They profess to know God, but their deeds, they deny him. Since they are disdainable, disobedient, and unfit for any good deed. I pray that that would never be said of any of us. So I wanted to give you some free stuff. You're welcome, Ronnie. Even though you've dropped out of the turkey bowl, even though we're going to have to go and draft a new quarterback, is he a lefty or a righty? Because I can't, that left arm, man, that freaks me out. That's called the devil's side. My, my son-in-law plays golf on the, on the devil's side. It's the weirdest looking thing. Anywho. But in the time of Paul and in the time of this writing, Rome is still preeminent in the world. And in the Roman Empire, there was a place called the Pantheon. And if you go to Rome today, guess what? It's still there. The Roman Pantheon was the Walmart of its day. You like that? Guess what? Come January, I haven't been in a Walmart in, count them, nine years. I'm not protesting, I just have a streak. But the Pantheon is the Roman Walmart for gods and God worship. So let's look at this a little bit. The word Pantheon is obviously from the Greek, and it means a temple of all gods. It's the clearinghouse. Well, I think I want to go worship a god today. Where do we, let's go to the Pantheon. We'll just cover all of our bases. It was built by Agrippa between 25 and 27 B.C., so it preceded Christ by nearly a quarter century. And the Pantheon was depicted, uh, and it had 12 gods plus the living sovereign. So the Roman god, or excuse me, the Roman emperor was considered a god. So it was the 12 primary gods plus the sovereign. Now, you ask me the question because you're smart like this. So how many Roman gods were there? Now, what's funny is you and I have one God, amen? And we have a hard time of keeping up with what? The one God. But in the Roman culture, they had 12 primary gods, but there were as many as 67 in all, and that doesn't account for the demigods. And I know you're asking the question, what's a demigod? Well, a demigod is not a full-fledged God. It's kind of, it's, they're kind of God-ish. They're kind of you know, like the offspring of a god with a human. That would be a demigod. They have some of the god stuff, but not all of the god stuff. So if you can't find what you need in the gods, little g's, then maybe you go down and you shop on the aisles with the demigods. Maybe they have what you're looking for. They offered sacrifices of animals and drink offerings and incense offerings. They believed that these offerings would be sufficient in buying favor with or appeasing their gods. Now, if you read about Roman uh, theology and their gods, is their gods were not that great. They were kind of mean. They kind of liked hurting people just for the grins and giggles of it. So when they went to the Pantheon, the Walmart of, of, of Roman gods, they would go there for one of two reasons. One, it's to try to, to buy some favor for something, or two, to appease them so they might not pick on them. And then they would go back to their lives. Now, a significant difference between the Roman worship of the little g, not true gods, and we who worship the God is this. 
The pagan worship had little to say or do with a person's behavior or their morality. They weren't there to govern that. They weren't there to give instruction. In fact, their instruction was really, at best, their example was detrimental. Listen, you're going to live you're going to live a little while, you might as well live it up while you're living. And whoever gets affected by your living it up, well, on them. But as Christians, ours isn't like this. As Christians, we bow and we make offerings, but we don't seek to return to the old sinful lifestyle. Amen. Now, we all come to the Lord just as we are. Amen. You don't wait to get well to go to the doctor. Amen? Now, we men don't go to the doctor till someone drags us there. So I say, have you been to the doctor about your knee? I go, no, I'm a man. You know, you know, all those things, ibuprofen, ice, heat, elevate, all those things. Most of them, which I'm not doing. And, but any, I digress. But the difference between the worship of a Roman little g-god was that it didn't really have any bearing on your day-to-day life. If you were just a hoodlum, a scoundrel, and a sinner, then you just did that. As Christians, we are taught differently. We are called to something different. We should strive to something different. And that's what Paul's going to be talking about today. Uh, With Christianity, we follow our example. And who is our example? Christ is our example. To be Christ-like means to be like Christ, and we have to strive to model what he looks like, not just what we think we should be doing. Today's verses are chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Let's go. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. I would stand up and step over there to make a point, but we know how that worked last week. So I'll just sit here to make this point. Don't you dare believe that God's word doesn't have a providential timing to it. Because how long have we been studying Colossians? A bit. And could we have any greater need to contemplate heaven than today? given what we've experienced. This happened happened to be next. Amen? It wasn't providence, my friend. God has brought his people and his word to a crossroad for a reason. And so this week, with the home going of Dylan, and for me, you know, uh, awaiting biopsy results, I've thought about heaven quite a bit actually. And, uh, you know, I think about heaven and, and I think about those who are there and I think about what it'll be like. You know, there's a song out there right now. It's awesome. And he talks about the things of heaven, but he says he hopes heaven's like rain on a tin roof. Have you heard that song? No. Well, I'm going to put, I'm going to put it out there for you because when I hear it, I just tear up. Talks about all the wonderful things in heaven, but he hopes that heaven's like rain on a tin roof. And I'm like, yeah, that works for me. But let me say this. Heaven isn't just a destination, amen? It is a destination, but it's not just a destination. Heaven is a prepared place 
for a prepared people, and we are prepared by faith through grace in Jesus Christ. But heaven isn't just something we're waiting for. Heaven, Paul's teaching us, is something we can experience right here on earth. Amen? Amen. Let me tell you, heaven, sorry, Tanya, is a wonderful steak dinner. <laughs> heaven can be a lot of things to a lot of people. Now, as good as this life is, it ain't heaven. But we can experience parts of heaven here now. And greater than that is we can display for others what heaven is going to be like. So many people have so many well-intentioned but misinformed ideas of what heaven is or isn't. My friends, heaven is a real place and is prepared for us. And I can't wait to get there. But until I arrive, I want to bring a little heaven down, amen? I want to walk every day with a glimpse of heaven. I want to walk every day with thoughts of heaven. I want to walk every day with the opportunity maybe to share heaven with someone else. This morning, I know you're going to be surprised, but I went by McDonald's and I picked up a cup of coffee because I needed it. And it was only 99 cents. I'm going to break McDonald's. They're in trouble. I don't promote apps, but you can get a cup of coffee for 99 cents. And uh, ironically enough, the line wasn't too long at McDonald's on a Sunday morning at 7 a.m. So I pull around to the first window where my app had already paid for my coffee. And the young lady hands me my receipt. And I said, I said, ma'am, now I don't do this every day. So this isn't like a, but I just, I said, ma'am, I'm on my way to church. And I just want to know, is there anything I can pray for you about? And she gets this smile. And she leans into the window on her arms and she goes, funny, you would ask me that. She said, my roommate and I just moved into an apartment together and we were just talking about we need to get closer to God. And I said, well, a funny thing, I'm a pastor and I would love to help you with that. And so I took that receipt and I wrote my cell number on it and my name and I handed it back to her and I said, that's, that's me. I said, if you'll text me, I said, I'll give you the information. I said, we would be honored to have you. And as I started pulling away, I started tearing up. That's how close heaven can be. Now, that's not anything about me. And that girl may never... But, but, God in his providence this morning told her, hey, I'm thinking about you because this stranger asked you about something you and I are talking about. Now, I hope, I don't know, we'll see. But one day heaven, let's see what Paul has to say. He gives us three things. First, he says we should seek the heavenly things. He says we died with Christ. Chapter 6 through 8 in Romans illustrates 
that Christ not only died for us as a substitutionary death, but we have died with him as an identification. Now, I started thinking about identifications. What do we do to identify with people, places, and things? Well, I mean, the short walk is this right here, my wedding band. My wedding band doesn't make me married. It's a, it's a conviction and a commitment and a covenant in my heart. This just testifies to all of you that my mind, my heart, and my body belongs to one. But we buy T-shirts. Listen, I hadn't got it yet, but I'm going to. Guess what? The Rangers won the World Series. And Dad coming, I'm getting that hat. I don't wear a lot of hats, but I'm getting that one. Why? Because I want to identify with that. I waited 58 years for somebody to get over that mountain. But Paul, uh, Paul tells us that Christ died a substitutionary death for us, and we died with him, what, in identification with him. I didn't die on a cross physically, but I died on a cross in identifying with him and his cross. Christ died for sin and unto sin, and in doing so, he broke sin's power. What does that mean? It means this, that by Christ's substitutionary death and my identification with him, I still have the capacity to sin. Sometimes I might even still have the desire to sin, but praise God, I'm not a slave to that sin. Time and time again, as a lost man, I go, no more, no more, no more, until I got to where I was like, give me more. And then the regret started immediately. Have you ever experienced immediate regret? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I bought something to eat the other day, one bite, immediate regret. But you know what I did? I paid for it. And something died for me to have it, so. But I promise, well, let me back up. My intention is, don't ever order that again. But here's what it means for us. 1 Corinthians, for in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. We are all made to drink of the one spirit. What's that mean? Is that Christ died for all, and by faith through grace, all can identify with him. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how you got here. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your gender. Every single person can identify with Christ by faith through grace. Until when? Until our eyes close to this reality. How long do you have? You have all of your life. Mm. But the question is, is how long is that? So everyone can come, and then Romans 6 tells us this. What shall we then say? Or do we remain in our sin that grace may increase? Should I live like my old self so I can show you just how gracious God is? My friends, let me say this. If you ever encounter a, a person who claims to be a believer, but they have no regard for sin, They may be in danger. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But Paul says, should I continue to sin so I can show you how great God's grace is? No. 
Listen, when I disappoint my bride, when I sin against my bride, I want to make that right toot sweet. And guess what? I don't want to duplicate it. Absolutely not. How can we who have died to sin, what, live in it? Verse 3, for you have died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. The world may know of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. But one day, but one day, so what we see here, he says, we need to seek the heavenly. We live with Christ. Eternal life is Jesus Christ, amen? Now, we are eternal beings. We all will live forever somewhere. We are eternal beings. There are those that believe in annihilationism. It means you live and then you die and there's nothing more. Not a single one of your hearts believe that to be true. And the truth is, is not anyone's heart begs for that. There's something in us. I believe it's the fingerprint of an eternal God that says, there has to be something more. Now, we debate over what it is. We might debate over how we get there. But every heart longs for the truth. There's something more. Why? Because this life, the Bible describes it like a breath. And as I continue to season in my life, I realize how short that breath is. He says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life, is what John says. Mm. We are simultaneously dead to sin, but alive in Christ. We have a, a dual responsibility. I am daily striving to die to sin and to live for Christ. That great preacher of the last century, Dr. Jerry Vines, has this great quote, one of kajillions. This guy would be a Twitter beast. Oh, I'm sorry, X. Your life is what you are alive to. Now, just ponder that for a second. I'm going to give you a second while I go back to this delicious coffee. Your life is what you are alive to. I'm going to give you another second. Think about what really revs your engine. If I say the word deer season, someone in here just went, ooh. If I say Aggies, someone in here, yeah. Someone in here in their sin goes, ooh. Although I think they may have found a quarterback, so good for them. Your life is what you're alive to. We don't all have the same interests. We don't all have the same passions. But there's something, at least something in your life then when you get around to that, you're alive to that. (sighs) 
Philippians tells us this, for me to what? Live is Christ. And to die is gain. Now, there's a lot of great things in this world, and we should enjoy them. Man, you'd enjoy it. But our primary thing that we live to should be Christ. First and foremost, to live as Christ. To to think about Christ, to, to talk about Christ, to long to be with Christ to share Christ, to be Christ-like should be the thing, the paramount thing. Everything else can trickle down from there. But like Dr. Vine says, your life is what you are alive to. Does the things of Christ rev your engine? He says we're to seek the heavenly. He says we are hidden in Christ. We are no longer belong to this world but to Christ and in our belonging to Christ it says that we are hidden in him now I don't know where you are right now but I do have just a small sense of insecurity in here because our world is crazy man I mean the cheese could slip right off that cracker in a heartbeat And I'm not going to live my life in fear and dig a hole and pull the hole in behind me. But you know, there's a, down in my gut, there's just a little bit of insecurity. Just, just this little bit. Why? Because I know Christ and I know his security and I know my security in him, but it's the other human beings that I don't know everything about. It's these crazy individuals who do crazy things. I love what that great, Uh, Baptist preacher Dr. Robertson says so here we are in Christ who is in God and no burglar not even Satan himself can separate us from the love of God here's the great thing the one thing that I live for first and foremost to live is what Christ this world and everything in this world has no effect or no danger of that relationship for me and that brings me comfort if I step to see Jesus on a A day, amen. If I step to see Jesus on a D day, amen. Why? Because the, I'm not graded on a curve. I'm graded on a cross. And no matter what the world does, and no matter how crazy it gets, no matter if I have that little bitty place down here, guess what? I can have peace because what? Christ For me to live is Christ. Secondly, we are not only secure in him, but uh, we are hidden in him, and we also find a satisfaction. Now, (laughs) there's one song that says you just can't get no satisfaction. Don't judge me. I just can't. Yes, we are completely ruining him one week at a time. (laughs) He came to us fine, and now he's broken. But I can say, I'm only an expert on me, if I can even claim that, is before Christ, I couldn't get any satisfaction. 
And I tried and I tried. And I went to every storefront that the world says should provide it. And I kept going back to those same storefronts. But I never found it. And the day I met Jesus Christ on that January morning, a part of, a part of my decision was because if this was all that the world had to offer me, mm, a sanctified soul cannot be satisfied by the sinful seductions of this world. I remember how to sin. I can still find it. But this is what I know is on the occasions that I do sin and fall short of the glory of God, it just doesn't sing to me like it used to. It just don't. You know why? Because when you've had the best, everything else. I used to find temporary satisfaction in blowing my top. And in blowing my top, giving you the best sailor vocabulary I could find. Nah. Not anymore. There's no satisfaction in that. In fact, on the occasion that someone chooses to cuss me, and they do, I find myself, probably to my detriment, fighting from laughing. Now, there used to be a day I was like, okay, we're going to go that way. Let's go. But for me, it, it's just humorous because, I mean, I think to myself, that's the best you've got. And like, I haven't heard that word a bajillion times, you know. But the satisfaction that comes through pursuit of the heavenly things is unparalleled. And it's also undiminishing. I never get tired of what God provides. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, or evil desires. Do not be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world because, the, these, excuse me, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Do not lie to each other, for you have, what, stripped off the old sinful nature and its wicked deeds. Sin at its core is rebellion fueled by an implied inadequacy of God's promised provision I find my sin is oftentimes when I doubt what God has promised when I think that what he has provided for me isn't sufficient that's when I find myself out someplace I shouldn't be my heavenly father says I know who you are and I know what you need and I will be your provision. It's my sin that goes, no, I didn't want vanilla ice cream. I wanted chocolate ice cream. Instead of going, ice cream! This gentleman right here, well, he has suffered a ruptured appendix. 
Now, does anyone here want a ruptured appendix? No, no. Does anyone here think that you could wish away that ruptured appendix? I'm sure he's wishing hard. Or maybe if someone else got together with him and wished he didn't have a ruptured appendix. No, no. What if he didn't want it? Doesn't matter. What if he thought, I'll just manage this. I'll take a couple of ibuprofen and call you in the morning. No, no, no. The thing about a ruptured appendix is what? There's one of two things. Either it's going to kill you or it's coming out. That's the only two options. You don't get to play with it. You don't get to manage it. You don't get to debate it. You don't get to discuss it. You don't get to Google it. Either it's going to kill you or it's coming out of you. Amen? Well, that unlike the flower bed at your house. How many of you have flower beds? How many of you have weeds in said flower beds? How many of you wish you didn't have weeds in your flower How many of you yeah, wish you didn't even have flower beds? See, the difference between a weed and the appendix is this, is the weed can be extracted, but guess what? It may come back. And guess what you have to do? Extract it again and extract it again and extract it again. Paul's command to us is not to manage sin, but to mortify it. That's a big word that says put it to death. Paul doesn't say, listen, you, you just keep that poisonous snake, but you just, you, you be careful with it. No, Paul says, get that snake out. Listen, if you're a pet snake person, you're freaking me out. I'm not saying all snakes are evil, but I'm just saying I look to the Bible. You see, far too often we as believers who sin can find ourselves thinking, I can manage this. But a wise man once told me sin will take you further. It'll keep you longer. And it'll cost you more than you ever intended to pay. And when that poisonous snake bites you, don't ask that snake why he did it. Because what? That's his nature. You see, we must systematically put to death in our lives the way of this world. The way it thinks, the way it feels, and the way it acts. Paul calls us to mortify sin in our lives. In part because we're benefactors of it. Don't you like going to bed at night with a clean conscience? Don't you like living your life not worrying about someone coming out of the woodworks going, hey, I've got this picture. I am so thankful I grew up before the internet. We are the benefactors of it. It gives us the power and the authority and the opportunity to witness of Christ in our world. And thirdly, is there's an accountability. We don't want to talk about it a lot, but there is such thing as a righteous anger, a righteous indignation. And if you listen to to today's events, you'll hear a great debate over this. Any persons who are attacked in their sleep and murdered for the sake of murder has every right to a righteous anger. 
And the Bible teaches us and Paul warns us that God has a righteous anger. Now, he is patient in that anger. But his righteousness, his holiness requires that that, that, that sinfulness be held into account. And my friends, it's coming. It's coming. So Paul warns us that. Verse 10, real quick. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn uh, to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uh, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. We have to look to Christ. People like to, we're in the holiday season, amen. It's turkey time, amen. But the world likes to look at Christ in the peripherals. I mean, it's called Christmas, I mean, duh. But the world looks at Christ in the peripheral. We want just enough Christ that we can do this Christmas thing, amen. But what the world needs is a full-on Look at Jesus. That old hymn says, look full in his wonder and grace. And the things of this world, what? Will grow strangely dim. You see, Paul says, look to Christ. Look at him for who he is. Look at him for what he's done. Look at him for what he's promised. Look at him for who you are. Look at him for what you've done. Look at him for what you deserve. Look to him. Don't glance. Don't take someone else's opinion. Hey, you see that guy over there? Can you describe him to me? I don't want to look. Why? Because when you look, you know. Learn about Christ. As an unbeliever, learn about Christ. Learn the facts and make an educated decision. Don't learn the opinions of man. Learn about Christ, believer. Why? Because... Our adversary deals in our uneducation and our dissatisfaction. Love Christ with your whole being. To live, what is Christ? Love him with everything you've got and in everything that you've got. Do all things as unto the Lord. That transforms your life. That means that when you're driving through at 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning because you want a cup of coffee, you just might ask someone, hey, can I pray for you? What God does with that, God does with it. You don't know. But when you love the Lord with your whole being, you, we, we will be surprised what he chooses to do. And live Christ. Don't just defend Christ. We know what debate's coming soon, don't we? We all know, right? You know. Happy Xmas. Oh, boy, there's some throat punching then. Now, little do what most people know is that's Kai. It's a symbol that means Christ, so it's saying the same thing. But don't you X out Jesus. Now, these are the people that won't have anything to do with Jesus. 
but I defend the right for you not to X him out. Live Christ from the inside out. The psalmist calls us to this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. Let that be our prayer today. Whom do we have? More important than Jesus. Because ladies and gentlemen, everything I have is because of Jesus. And for me to walk away from him would cost me everything I value. For me to live is Christ. And for me to die is gain. What's my gain? One day heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you that Paul once again challenges us not to be simply hearers of the word and defenders of the word and proclaimers of the word, but Father, to actually round that out by being doers of the word. Father, I pray that for myself, first and foremost, Father, because I have sole responsibility for me, Lord, that you would help me to strive to live as Christ. Father, for all of those under the sound of my voice and instruction, Father, for those who I also have an account for, I pray that they too would want Christ more than anything in this world. And Father, if there's anyone who's not yet come into relationship with Jesus by faith through grace, Father, I pray that they would do that. Father, I pray that myself or, or we as a fellowship, Lord, would have the privilege of giving the information, answering the questions as best we can, Lord, that they could make an informed decision about Jesus. And Father, I unashamedly hope that each and every one of us will come to know Jesus as Savior because I want them in heaven with me and more importantly with you. Father, I just pray for each and every one who have been touched by this terrible loss of Dylan. Father, may the balm of Gilead be massaged into the wounds of our hearts and that we would find solace in the fact that he is perfect. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a month. Not even for a lifetime. But Father, he is perfect in you. And now he joyfully and wholly awaits our arrival. Father, help us to not mourn as those who have no hope, 
but to be ready to give an account for the hope that lies in us. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. For it's in our Savior's name we ask these things. And it's for his glory we ask these things. And it's for our own good that we ask these things. Amen. And all of God's people said, Amen.